When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Read as much as you want from over 1 million books and 5,000 audiobooks with Kindle Unlimited. Enjoy Kindle Unlimited on any device with the Kindle app and read anytime, anywhere. Books may be added and removed from time to time, but with a variety of genres and titles, you're sure to find your next favorite read. For a limited time, get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting Amazon.com slash all the books. That's Amazon.com slash all the books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 208, and today we are talking about books being released on May 14th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. How's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. A little frazzled today, as usual. It was like super, super, super nice for one day. It's been raining oh. in Maine forever. And then we had like oh, a beautiful same. day. And now it's supposed to rain for like another 10 days. Yeah. Oh, we've had like two days of spring that haven't involved rain or snow. It's been awful. Oh, yeah. Didn't this you is... get snow last week? Still? Uh, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It was, it was awful. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I always talk <laughs> about the weather because I don't know. It affects me a lot, I feel like. As I get older, Same. I'm so much more conscious of the weather. I don't know why that is, but I'm no, always like, I, oh, it's gray out. I'm the same, and it's like, sometimes those gray days, you're like, okay, it's necessary, but when you're on day, like, 14 of it, you're like, all right, I don't want to <laughs> leave my house. Yeah. I'm crabby. Everybody's crabby. Um, I was down in Chicago this weekend, and we had one really, really beautiful day, and everybody's just in a different mood, you know? Yeah. Like, everybody's so happy and talkative and energetic, and it, it does, I think it really does impact people. Yeah. So we're going to talk about books, but before we do that, <laughs> can I tell you my really exciting story? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went away for an evening uh, this week. Um, Oblong Books was presenting Craig Ferguson in Rhinebeck, well, not in Rhinebeck, but at Bard, but, like, Oblong is in Rhinebeck. They're awesome. You should visit them. Uh, Craig Ferguson is amazing. It was so great. Uh, so we decided to stay overnight because we live about four hours away, and so we got this hotel room in this really funky hotel, like, really cool in this little teeny tiny town in New York, and to get to your rooms, you had to walk through the restaurant on the first floor, and we were leaving our hotel room to go to the event, and I was walking... Uh, down the stairs, and I looked over into the bar, and Daniel Day-Lewis was sitting yeah. at the bar. And Oh my goodness. I couldn't handle it. I just started <laughs> walking faster, like right outside, and I was like, oh, 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 because I love him. I mean, it, he's been in more movies that I've loved than I think any other actor I was trying to think of this. And I've watched There Will Be Blood like five million times. It's my favorite movie. And he was just sitting there at the bar, and my boyfriend was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. He's like, okay, well, let's go sit inside and talk. I was like, no, no, let it, no, no. And so he's like, well, I'm gonna go peek and see because I didn't get to see him. And I was like, yeah, okay. 
you know, because I don't like to bother the celebrities, but I yeah. also can't handle it when they're around. I am one of those people that, like, when I see people who do things that mean a lot to me, I lose my mind. Um, so he went inside and he came back out. He's like, yep, that's him. I was just, Aww. like, sitting in our hotel in this tiny little town. Like, I always used to read those books um, where, like, there was a girl and she was in love with this band and she had a favorite band member and one day she's riding her bike down the road and this car is broken down and it's the guy from the band that she loves in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, right. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's true. It really happens. <laughs> it was amazing. I cried because someone said it's because I'm a cancer, I guess. But I cried because I was just Aww. like, I don't know how to handle this. So many feelings. Yeah, that was probably the most exciting thing that happened to me this year, besides getting kittens, but like totally different because Daniel yeah. J. Lewis doesn't chew on my hair. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shame. But anyway, so I wanted to share that with you. I love it. I love that story. Thank you. Now I'm going to tell you about my first pick, which is nothing like that at <laughs> all. Um, I love this book. Oh my goodness, I read it twice. It's one of those books like Fever Dream, where you read it and you have to read it again because you're like, did I just imagine most of that? <laughs> it is Lanny by Max Porter. He is the author of Grief is the Thing with Feathers, which many of you have read, I know, because you told me how it made you cry. And it is very, very sad. It's so good. Grief is the Thing with Feathers. And this one is set in a small village about an hour from London. And there is a being named Dead Papa Toothwort. And he has awakened. He awakens in the village every hundred years or so. He's been around for a very long time. He's a local legend. The kids talk about him. They draw pictures of him. He's sort of made out of leaves in their versions. Um, and he awakens in this village. And he's listening to all the people in the village. And he's catching, like, snippets of their their conversations and their confessions and their arguments. And, and as he is listening, the text in the actual book is sort of like spiraling and swirling and bending, which is fantastic. It's so cool to read. And so he's listening because he's looking for someone and he hones in on him. He finds him. He's a special boy named Lanny. Lanny is a young boy who moved to the village with his parents very recently, uh, like a year or two before. So they're like outsiders to the villagers. Um, there's this There's this joke in Maine about how um, this family moves to Maine and one of the children is like a two-month-old baby and the baby lives in Maine for 90 years and then dies and when they bury him, they write goodbye outsider on his Aww. headstone. You know, it's like one of those, like if you're not born there, you're not you know from there no matter how long you live there. So that's kind of like how it is with Lanny um, and his family. They're seen as outsiders. Um, but Lanny is very special um, he's a little uh, unusual, you know, he kind of stands out to his teachers, um, he hears things, his dad goes outside one day and he's laying down and he says that he's listening to a girl at the base of a tree, like she's in the tree talking to him, his dad's like, oh, okay, and so his mother just meets an artist who lives in the village, an elderly man, they call him Mad Pete, um, but he's actually, outside of the village, a very famous artist. And she asks him to give Lanny art lessons, and he does. And so Lanny spends his afternoons with Pete, and they get along famously. They have a great time. Um, and, and in the meantime, dead Papa Toothwort is kind of wandering around outside and listening at windows and blowing nightmares into people's homes and sort of meddling in what's going on. And that is just the first part of the book um, 
and I don't want to tell you anything about the rest of it because I think it kind of spoils it. I will just say, like, this is just an unusual hybrid of horror and drama and poetry. It's a parable. It's a mystery. Um, it's it's so fantastic. I will say uh, there is a horrible animal death in the book and also discussion of child sexual abuse. So that if so, if that is something that you are sensitive to, you might want to skip it. Um, but it's just it's incredible. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins lots of awards for this. It's really, really unusual and great. So again, it is called Lanny, and it is by Max Porter. So my first pick is one that came out last week, so it's available now, uh, Rabbits for Food by Binny Kirschenbaum. Um, on New Year's Eve, Bunny, the main character, has this complete psychotic breakdown, and she's sent to an inpatient facility for treatment. And the book opens as Bunny finds herself disappointed that the therapy animals, which were on the facility's schedule of activities for the day, aren't actually coming, and now she has to choose another activity to fill her day. Uh, she doesn't want to do anything like that, and when it's suggested she does something like write, which is sort of the career she had, uh, she could not want to do anything less. Um, so so she has this running commentary in her head about the people who are in this facility and what's going on with them. She's got nicknames for them. Um, so this part of the story is then woven alongside the backstory, which explains exactly how Bunny ended up in the facility and how she had this psychotic break. So... Um, Bunny is slash was a writer, and her observations are sort of told in a first-person perspective. Um, and then there's the third-person perspective, which is really close to her, that reflects upon the experiences that led to her um, being institutionalized. Um, this book is... I, I, I keep wanting to say keen-eyed, and I, I think that that's a good way to describe it. Um, it's funny, and at times it's really, really bitingly dark. Uh, it reminded me a lot of The Bell Jar in a more modern setting. There's this really interesting meta-narrative here in the book, um, as it's a story about a writer writing her observations of the experience while simultaneously encouraging readers to wonder if this is a memoir or a work of fiction. Um, there's some really, really great lines throughout, and it really struck me um, how well the idea of grief was explored here, and especially how grief can really get buried within us. And even as we sort of move through grief and our experiences with it, it can still sort of um, feel fresh when it's remembered. Um, I found the depictions of depression here to be really, really great, and I related to Bunny in a lot of ways. Uh, I'll, I'll say this up front, this isn't going to be everybody's jam because it is weird, and uh, certainly many people won't find it funny, but if you like dark humor and um, it, you like stories that are a little bit different but not necessarily weird, um, I think that this one is going to really resonate, particularly if you've experienced mental illness or um, know somebody who has. And that is Rabbits for Food by Benny Kirschenbaum. Should we hit her first sponsor? We're going to hit our first sponsor. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> Lost in You by Lauren Dane is our first sponsor. Getting lost in the arms of a bad boy never felt so good. 
Time and the military have made Joe Harris a better man than when he was when he left Petal, Georgia 10 years ago. Now that he's back, all he wants is to take care of his dad, get his garage up and running, and spend time with his dog. He has no plans for a relationship, especially one with his best friend's kid sister, no matter how much she tempts him. And boy, does she ever. New York Times and USA bestselling author Lauren Dane brings Lost to You, a sensual romance series set in the small fictional town of Petal, Georgia. The central theme in Petal, Georgia is family, and not just those you're born with, but those people that you make family of your heart. This is a spin-off series from her fan favorite, the Chase Brothers, featuring members of the Murphy family. And thanks to Lost in You by Lauren Dane for helping sponsor all the books. All right. Uh, my next pick is The Den by Abby Maxwell. Um, I admit I have not read her first novel, but apparently um, there are huge fans, um, the title of which I'm forgetting now, uh, and she hasn't published a book in a very long time, so I know a lot of people who were super excited when this came out, so I immediately had to read it, and it's really good. It's about two pairs of sisters 150 years apart. Uh, there's Elspeth and Claire. Uh, Elspeth and Claire live in Scotland. Elspeth is a dreamer. Uh, Claire is the more responsible one. Um, she she does all the chores, takes care of her parents, and Elspeth is kind of more flighty and, you know, wanders their land more often. And she meets a man named Thomas. They fall in love. Um, she becomes pregnant. Uh, and again, this is like 1850. So her father tells her that she has to leave. Like, first she, he tells her she has to marry him and she has they have to leave because the the way the village works is gossip, you know, is like wildfire. And everyone already knows, basically, as soon as she does that, she's pregnant before she was married. And so first they stop delivering milk to the family's house and then they stop delivering you know, other things because they don't want to be associated with this family where the daughter had the gall to have sex before she was married. Um, so they send her off to America. Thomas has gone ahead. He's gotten a job at a mill. They're in New Hampshire. And she lives there. She raises three sons. Uh, she writes stories, stays in their cabin, and she makes friends with the gentleman who lives uh, near them. And that's how she spends most of her life until uh, one day when she catches the eye of the new mill owner. And then we have Henrietta and Jane. Uh, they're sisters. Henrietta is the angry, rebellious one. She's gorgeous. Uh, Jane is her annoying little sister. She dotes on her. She wants to be like her. She wants to know what she's doing all the time. She spies on Henrietta when, when Henrietta won't let her hang around. And through this, we learn that Henrietta has become involved with a boy who lives in town. And she also has her eye seemingly on a doctor uh, that she and Jane babysit for. Um, and there's a story that Henry, that Henrietta and Jane's father tells them about this family that lived in New Hampshire, this two parents and their three sons, and how one day during this horrible storm, their neighbor went to the house and discovered that th there were five coyotes sitting in their cabin, uh, and the place was covered in blood, and the family was, there. they were nowhere to be found, no one ever saw them again, and the family turned into coyotes somehow. Um, and so Jane has always known this story and always wondered, like, you know, are coyotes going to be around here? And the frame of the house that this family lived in is near where Henrietta and Jane live. And they spend their days, like, laying in the frame and daydreaming and talking about boys and all the stuff. 
And then one day, Henrietta disappears, and Jane is certain that it must be the coyotes. Um, I didn't mean to read, like, two books about small village superstitions (laughs) and, like, stories being passed down. Um, They also both have horrible animal deaths. There is is some horrible stuff in this. Um, And also a trigger warning for sexual assault. If that's something you're sensitive to, you should skip this. Um, This book was... it's, it, I couldn't stop reading. It was, like, so entrancing. And it's it's a bit like atonement in how, like, children's perceptions of things uh, change. You know, like, they, they might not understand what they're seeing. Um, and also about young women embracing their sexuality and being punished for it. Uh, it. And, again, the language is just gorgeous. And I just could not wait to find out what happened at the end. So, again, it is called The Den, and it is by Abby Maxwell. I'm going to throw out a very lighthearted, fun book All right. to, yeah, to break up some of these darker, heavier ones. Um, the book I'm going to talk about is There's Something About Sweetie by Sandia Menon. And let me preface by saying that you don't have to have read When Dimple Meant Rishi to read this one. Uh, it's a companion and not a sequel. So if you haven't read the first one, you can go ahead and pick this one up um, without worrying. Um, but I, I you know, would recommend picking up When Dimple Met Rishi too. It's great. Uh, so there's something about Sweetie is told from the perspective of Ashish, the younger brother of Rishi and Sweetie. And it's a story about two teenagers falling in love, uh, even though Sweetie's family doesn't think Ash is an appropriate partner for her. Um, Ash's parents decide that they're going to concoct their entire relationship in secret. And um, they they come up with four dates that they can go on together um, that would allow Sweetie and Ashish to get to know each other, but in ways that are safe and appropriate. Um, as they're having these dates, though, they find themselves falling further and further in love with tons of the things that you would expect in a romantic comedy, the mishaps, the humor. Um, and it becomes clear that Sweetie is going to have to tell her mom and her dad about this relationship at some point. And so she's worried about how she's going to do that when she knows that her parents don't approve of Ash, don't think he's good enough for her. Um, As Sweetie's mom is really traditional and feels the constraint of being traditional to her Indian heritage, uh, she's really harsh on Sweetie, particularly uh, her body. Sweetie is a fat girl, And so uh, it comes as little surprise that Sweetie dating someone like Ash, who's a star basketball player, is something that her mom is concerned with. Um, She thinks that her daughter's just going to have her heart broken by him. Sweetie doesn't see that, and so obviously she pushes back on it, and more she really, really pushes back about how awesome her body is, just the way it is. Um, I thought Menon did a great job talking about fat bodies in this book. Um, As somebody who's always been fat, I've always also been an active person. But like Sweetie, I've always felt judged for this. Um, And so it was cool to see um, Sweetie sort of have the same revelation that I did in my life that I don't owe an explanation of my body and what it looks like and how it works to anybody. And um, when she comes to that in the story and is really pushing against these expectations, it's just really affirming and really awesome. Um, And this is certainly one of those books to add to um, the very small but growing uh, fat positive canon in YA. And more, it's a delightful rom-com with lots of kissing. I really, really enjoyed this. It was fun from start to finish and took on a lot of like 
big issues without becoming um, dark and heavy. And I don't know. I just, I love Sweetie and Ash. And I wanted them to be together from the beginning. And I wasn't disappointed. Um, and that is There's Something About Sweetie by Cindy Menon. All right. My next pick, um, as you know, I had a really hard time. I kept reading things and being like, mm, no, no. So I only got a proof for it this morning, and I read two-thirds of it before we started recording today. And I love it so much. I've been waiting to read this, so I was I was like, I have to talk about it because it's so good. But again, I've only read two-thirds. It is The Candle and the Flame by Nafisa Azad. Um, it's just this wonderful YA fantasy, and I am just loving it to pieces. It is about a young woman named Fatima. She lives in the village of Noor. It was this bustling sort of trading town. Um, there are people who speak multiple languages. There are multiple religions there. It's just this amazing place. And Fatima came there when she was four. She was taken in by this family um, and grew up there. And then many years later, uh, the village was attacked by these violent jinn. And everyone but three humans survived. They killed all the humans except for Fatima and two others. Um, and they don't know why this is. And since this terrible, terrible slaughter of their village, the Ifrit, which are a, a kind of jinn, uh, they protect Noor now and sort of like patrol the city and watch out for, you know, more attacks and stuff like that. Because um, they're sort of like on the, they sort of share a boundary, like they can cross over into their land. Um, so at the beginning of this book, um, there's a, there is a celebration and the Ifrit are worried about attacks and they're kind of like hidden walking around. Um, and this, uh, ghoul shows up, this, this monster and they don't understand, like they are not usually so brazen. Like why did it think it was okay to just come right out? And they can't figure that out. And then all this other stuff starts happening. Um, Fatima's friend who owns the bookstore, he is called the name giver. Um, he dies and something happens to Fatima and she changes. I can't tell you what happens without spoiling some of it. Um, but as she changes, she becomes more involved with the Ifrit and their politics and their war. Uh, and so, as I said, I'm like two thirds of the way into this, but I am so in love with the language and the descriptions, the, the writing, everything she says is so vivid and beautiful. Like I know like people say like, I can actually like smell it and hear the sounds, but I really feel that way. When I'm reading this book, I mean, the things that she talks about are just incredible. And she just sort of seamlessly blends um, these stories and fables with the jinn factions and everything that's going on. And Fatima is a badass. Like, she's very fierce and independent and smart. And I just love her. So I can't wait to finish the rest of it, which I will do as soon as we are finished recording here today. And I'm so excited for, this, for everyone else to read this book. It is The Candle and the Flame, and it's by Nafisa Azad. And related to nothing whatsoever to do with that, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about our other sponsor today. Our other sponsor is Third Love. Third Love is back uh, with more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Third Love designs bras with breast shape and size in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. You just answer a few simple questions via Third Love's Fit Finder quiz to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Then, thanks to Third Love's 100% fit guarantee, you can wear, wash, and put your bra to the test for 60 days. And if you don't love it, you can return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. This is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll own, with straps that won't slip, tagless labels, and lightweight, super thin memory foam cups. So, as you know, they've been a sponsor for a couple years now. We love them. Um, I have a few of their bras, 
And they're like, talk about your personal experience. And the first thing that popped into mind is that I've started wearing my older ones to bed because the kittens have decided that the most comfortable place in the house to need is on my chest. <laughs> so that's so I, I like they're like armor for me now. I wear but like I go to bed and I have it on and I don't even like really notice because they're so comfortable and also it keeps their little claws off my skin. Um, so that is my personal experience these days with my third love bra, a kitten shield. So, uh, third love knows that there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering listeners 15% off your first order. You go to thirdlove.com slash books to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash books for 15% off today. And we thank them for sponsoring and for saving me from the kittens. That might be my favorite personal uh, <laughs> recommendation yeah kitten protection we we have a kitten with claws and fortunately he doesn't go there for me he's going for my leg and my toes he likes to bite my toes and I can't I can't figure that one out yet yeah kittens are so weird like for my boyfriend they like to knead on his arms like his upper arms oh and like he'll be sleeping and they get on him and start kneading on, just on his arm and so for me like I'll fall asleep and then I wake up and they're standing on my chest. I'm like, could you not, please? <laughs> they're like, so comfy. <sighs> my next book has nothing to do with cats <laughs> or bras. No. Um, not at all. It's uh, Black Death at the Golden Gate, The Race to Save America from Bubonic Plague by David K. Randall. And let me start by saying I'm a bubonic plague history nerd um so when i saw this book pop up in i have one of the newsletters i was reading as an ad like months and months ago i was like i have to read that book um people always seem so shocked when they hear that the bubonic plague still exists in the u.s today um but spoiler alert it still exists and it's especially um something that exists out on the western part of the country and um randall's book really sort of hit all my sweet spots in explaining the history of bubonic plague in the country and also why we still periodically see it today. Um, so the book is set at the turn of the 20th century in San Francisco. So anybody who is familiar with this period of time in this location knows that this was a really rampant era of racism and xenophobia and, um, particularly so in San Francisco, um, when panic about the plague started spreading because it had really wreaked havoc in Hawaii. And it appeared to be coming from Chinese immigrants by boat to the USA. So this was sort of the the stage for, for why this fear existed. And uh, the book follows then how two doctors recognized what was going on in San Francisco um, and how one was let down turn after turn uh, when he was talking about the plague being in San Francisco um, because he couldn't get the funding he needed or the support he needed, um, in addition, obviously, to the racism that was existing, uh, particularly at the government level, um, and how he was unable to stop the plague from spreading. The next doctor who was given the same position uh, was able to make some of those inroads and discover how it was the plague was spreading, um, specifically that it was a type of flea that spread the disease to rats, which then spread to people. And this, um, this physician was able to develop 
the public health system in ways to combat the further spread of the plague, uh, even though it was also discovered and is still known that wild squirrels out west are why the plague still exists today. Um, it's not super common, but it does happen, and we can thank the wild squirrels for that. Um, Randall, the author, doesn't shy away from the realities of racism and classism in the book, and he does a really great job of framing the situation in San Francisco, particularly about public health, with the greater things going on in the U.S. and around the world at the same time. So um, there's a whole section about the the famous earthquake that happened and um, the aha moment that occurred with figuring out why the disease was spreading the way it was because uh, it wasn't completely logical how the plague was spreading. Um, and then also how this understanding led to seeing how the plague played out in Los Angeles after World War I and the growth of the Spanish influenza at the same time. Um, this is really, really an interesting book and super readable for anyone interested in the history of disease and the plague. Um, and it's just super compelling. Um, I love history that takes a topic like this and and situates it within the greater context of history. Um, I know very little about San Francisco. I have like no connection to it at all. But I found this totally fascinating um, from the perspective of everything else that was going on in the country at this time and um, how it ultimately led to the public health system as it exists today. And that is Black Death at the Golden Gate, The Race to Save America from Bubonic Plague by David K. Randall. I too am a big fan of plague books. Another <laughs> way that you and I are, are very much alike. And I have a copy of this, but I haven't read it yet because I knew you wanted to discuss it for the show. Yes. Um, but I read a book uh, 15 years ago called Rats. It, Ooh. It's, it's uh, Rats, Observations on the History and Habitat of the City's Most Unwanted Inhabitants. And it's about rats in... Uh, New York City, but it also touches a bit on the plague, and that was where I learned that like there are more rodents in the west of this country that are carrying plague fleas than there were like when the plague existed, you know, like all the like hundreds of years ago. Yeah, I um, mean, I was like, what? that was crazy. I never heard that. And it's also this book is very timely because if you saw the news, there was a couple that died of the plague in Mongolia recently because they ate an infected rodent, which is just horrible. Um, so if you, yeah, it was, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was going to say it's, um, I read, a, a YA nonfiction book a couple years ago called Bubonic Planet by Gail Jero. And that's where I learned about, um, some of the stuff that this book really dug into. Um, and also was sort of like, I, many, many years ago, my husband and I were driving in the Southwest and we stayed at a little, in a little town in New Mexico. And I remember the news was about the plague and I was like, how does this exist? And so it's like been fascinating to me since. And, uh, Jaro's book was a really good introduction to the, the bigger concepts that go on in, in Randall's book too. It's just funny. You find these topics that you love and it's like, yeah. <laughs> you read everything you can and people are like, oh, what are you reading? Oh, just another book about plagues. No yeah. worries. You know? Yeah. But I mean, it's oh. not like reading about dinosaurs. I mean, it's still around. Right. You know, talk yeah. to me in a hundred years when we've cloned dinosaur DNA and they've come back and eaten all of us. But right now they're not around. <laughs> um, so I thought I would end with a lighthearted, fun book because <laughs> we've 
got some dark ones. Uh, so my last pick is called No Saving Throw by Kristen McFarland. It is a cozy mystery. If you are not familiar with what a cozy mystery is, it usually means there's very little sex, violence, or swearing. Some people uh, say cozy mysteries have to be amateurs solving the crimes. Some people think it's just uh, those criteria of very little sex, violence, and swearing. Um, lots of them take place in bookstores, in libraries, in restaurants, in yarn shops, um, and they have cats, and you've seen them, I'm sure. Um, if you were like, I want to read a cozy mystery, I'm not really into, like, yarn shops or bookstores, then this is an exciting one if you're a nerd because it takes place in a tabletop gaming store. I saw Ooh. this mentioned in Publishers Weekly, and I wrote to the publisher immediately and said, I would like to read this, yes, please, right now. And so they <laughs> gave it to me. Um, it takes place... Uh, there's a store called Ten Again. It's owned by a, a young woman named Autumn. She's in her 20s. She's having a great time. She owns this store. She has two loyal employees. They nerd out all the time, and they work. It's great. And when the book starts, there's this big release night, this gaming pack that there are a bunch of people there for, and after the release party, there are several um, customers who are going to go LARPing, which is live-action role-playing, uh, in the mall area, they get special permission to run around the mall um, at night and, and do their game. Uh, and they're playing this vampire game. And then Autumn gets this weird phone call and she finds out that one of the customers who is playing the game has fallen to his death, like, over the side of a balcony. And when they find him, he has these two punctures in his neck like a vampire did it. And they were playing this vampire game. Um, and so now they have to figure out what happened to him and who the murderer is. Uh, was it the unpleasant customer who had been arguing with him uh, a couple hours before his death? Was it the new boyfriend of this guy's ex-girlfriend? Like, was it jealousy? Um, was it Autumn's ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend who owns a store on the bottom floor and is competing with Autumn for a grant to do something to the building? Is it the landlord who kind of wants out of everything... Um, and so it's, she's really worried because the papers are saying like, you know, uh, violent role-playing games causes death. And she's, she's very concerned about what this is going to do to her business because she's like, this is my livelihood. And, you know, he was a great kid and all the people who come here are great kids and they're getting blamed for this and being made out to be terrible weirdos. And she's really worried about it. So she decides she's going to solve the crime herself. So it's lots of fun and has great nerdy references. Loved it. So again, it is called No Saving Throw by Kristen McFarland. My last one is probably not super fun. <laughs> um, you know, That's all it's, right. not as fun, it's, it's not as fun as that. Um, it's called A Place to Belong by Cynthia Katohara, illustrated by Julia Kuo. Um, so I know very, very little about the Japanese diaspora of uh, the Nikai post-World War II. And so this book was an eye-opener and one that was also kind of heartwarming as well as heartbreaking and told through the eyes of a young girl. This is a middle grade novel. Um, it follows a girl named Hannah and her family who has been held in various internment camps throughout the USA until they were finally sent via ship back to Japan. Um, her family returns to her father's parents' house where her grandmother and her grandfather are still alive, but they're barely subsisting as tenant farmers. Um, Hannah struggles with trying to figure out living in this entirely new country and also struggles to fit in with her new classmates 
and her neighbors who are poorer than she can even imagine, uh, which is saying a lot because she came to Japan with nothing herself. Um, Many of these neighbors had been hurt in various war bombings, and so she's trying to figure out what it means for her family to be all together for the first time in a long time. Um, And Hannah's eyes are really made to be wide open at these stark realities and the consequences of war. Um, And it's a lot about how um, she can be simultaneously an insider, her family's from Japan, as well as an outsider because she's Japanese-American. Interspersed throughout the narrative are these really moving illustrations that add a nice dimension to the story, and they also sort of temper some of the sadness throughout Um, I really loved the relationship between Hannah and her brother. Um, Her brother has this port wine stain, which plays a role in the story. And then uh, there's a great relationship between Hannah and her parents and Hannah and her grandparents as well. Um, I mentioned it's a middle grade novel, but it's one that has a lot of appeal, I think, even to adult readers, especially those who are really unfamiliar with the realities of uh, the Japanese Americans during and after World War II. Um, I found this story compelling enough to be worth the 400-plus pages that this book was. I was a little intimidated when I first picked it up. 400 pages is a lot, especially for a middle-grade novel. But um, it was actually a quick read and super immersive, and I'm I'm really glad I read it. And that is A Place to Belong by Cynthia Kedohara, illustrated by Julia Kuo. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I'm going to read Let Me Hear a Rhyme by Tiffany D. Jackson. I read her last two books, and I'm looking forward to this one. It's the third book out this year so far that deals with teen rappers, which is a really cool trend. What about you? I'm going to read something called The Truffle Underground, a a tale of mystery, mayhem, and manipulation in the shadowy market of the world's most expensive fungus by Ryan Jacobs. That sounds so good. I I just requested that one to read because it... Yeah. It's like that nonviolent um, crime novels, which I love, or crime nonfiction, which yes. I love. Yeah, I'm really digging this this new wave of like nonviolent true crime. Um, mm-hmm. I've had enough for a while, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm really excited to read this. I hope it's sort of like you know um, the Orchid Thief or something like that. It's going to be awesome. So yes. that is it for us for today. You can get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just ninety nine cents by visiting Amazon.com slash all the books. Thank you to Lost in You by Lauren Dane. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And you can visit thirdlove.com slash books to get 15% off your first purchase. If you want to tell us something, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. I'm on Instagram most of the time now uh, at Friends and Comes Alive. You can find Kelly on Twitter at Veronica Kelly Mars. That's V-E-R-O-N-I-K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-S. New, and, like, new, new Veronica Mars soon, right? Isn't that what's yes. happening? That's exciting. Um, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. If you love us and want to do us a favor, it helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Bye.